Thank you for coming to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, featuring our interview with Curtis Razorblades is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. Human Weapon is a no-nonsense MMA clothing brand that bucks the tattoo sleeve and skull trend set by other MMA clothing companies. Instead of that, you get a good, clean graphic on a high-quality shirt. So head on over to humanweapon.com and use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, for 15% off your very first order. Human Weapon brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Curtis Razorblades, fresh off his win over Alexi Olenek at UFC 217. So, Curtis, you know, I obviously got to ask, crazy ending to the fight. You had him really heavily stunned, and then you landed what would have probably been an illegal kick that landed on his earlobe. Uh, give us your first thoughts when they waved off that fight. Obviously, I meant... I kind of spazzed out a little bit. Uh, I went worst case scenario. I thought I was getting disqualified. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, and, uh, after you, you know they saw the replay and they got the decision right, you, you still seem mostly upset. Is is that just because you didn't get the the opportunity to show off what what you were able to do to Olenek? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, I was hoping I get a a chance to get like a a clean. You know, like highlight TKO, something to put on my resume. Because I feel like that's why the UFC gave me him. They wanted, they wanted to see how I would do against a guy who's a, a dangerous grappler, but not much of a threat on his feet. Yeah, I think I was doing a pretty good job, but I didn't get to put my my stamp on it. You know, absolutely. And and that's pretty much what we thought too is that you know obviously you know your your win is is you know unquestionable you obviously dominated him you obviously won the fight uh, but but do you think it it affected your ability to climb the rankings and and sort of demand a bigger name? I I hope not because I guess I said I feel like the first round for the most part went the way I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. I got my takedowns. I didn't I didn't get caught with any. Submissions. Uh, I I pressured him. I gassed him out, mm-hmm. and I feel like it, had I kept on the pressure, I would have broken him, and I could have got like a, a legit head kick. Mm-hmm. So, and you've kind of talked about this already. Is that you know you were worried about your your resume and and what it was saying about you. You're you're one of only three heavyweights in the UFC right now. I looked this up. One of three heavyweights in the UFC undefeated in your last four fights. The only other two people along with you are Francis Naganu and Stipe Miocic, who's the champion of the division. So knowing that you're undefeated in your last four fights, this seemingly puts you in the place for, for a really big step up in competition. Is there anybody you're looking to throw down with next? Uh, well, there's a few guys, I think, ahead of me that I um, I think would, would make – Make for good, high-level fights. Uh, I like Alexander Volkov. Mm-hmm. I think he's ranked either fifth or sixth. Mm-hmm. And I like uh, Arsene Tabora. 
or Tybora. Uh, we both debuted in Croatia last April, and uh, I think he's he's an up and comer just like myself. And he's he's been ranked for a little bit longer than me, so I think I think either of those would make for good fights. Yeah, either of those makes for really good fights, and Tibera is about to fight Fabricio Verdum, so uh, obviously he's a name uh, that's that people are seeing as up and a comer just like you. Let's let's talk a little bit about Naganu too, because you made your UFC debut against Francis Naganu, who's, who's slowly become like the name of as far as up and comers like you and and Marcin Tibera uh, in the division. So in your debut. You lasted two rounds with them. The doctors came in and stopped the fight, which were, you know, sort of questionable. You're the only one to have lasted two full rounds against him, and even then he didn't really stop you. Is that a fight you'd like to see a rematch with down the road? Of course, but obviously people bring it up a lot. Um, I'm in no hurry to rush the rematch because it'll happen as long as I keep winning my fights and I'm pretty sure he'll continue to win at a higher rate as he has been. It'll happen. Um, and I just want to be the best fighter I can be all, mm-hmm. like overall. I want my hands to be as smooth as they can be. I want my jiu-jitsu to be as clean as possible. And obviously there's also things I can build on with my cardio also. Mm-hmm. i like that to be as, as, as optimum as possible too. So yeah. I know it's going to happen. I'm just, I'm not in a rush. Yeah, so so you've said you know it's going to happen, too. So, it, obviously, you get two on the current pace you're at seem to be on a collision course with the top of the division. How do you think you match up in a rematch with them? What what have you sort of improved uh, since the last time you've squared off with them? I mean, I know the last time I, we fought, I, was, I wasn't training the right way. I wasn't training the way I am. Right now, down here with Team Elevation, um, I'm on a strength and conditioning program. I'm doing I'm doing my striking with Dwayne at his school and with my boxing coach Benny Lopez at his gym. Mm-hmm. And it's just the first time we fought, I was really really raw. Mm-hmm. I got this for like I w- I was just getting by on just being athletic and. You can't win at the highest level just being athletic, and I, I learned that the hard way. So, and actually, like a lot of people expect me to hate him. I don't hate him because he beat me. It actually it was a good thing. It got me down here to Colorado. That's what made me realize I needed to train a different way. So. Yeah, and and he is one of those super humble guys too, where it, you know it's almost impossible to hate him because he is. Uh... You know, he's, he's respectful, and, and he's doing things seemingly the right way. So he's he's facing off with Alistair Overeem uh, later on next month. Uh, what do you think of that fight? And, and do you think he's got a good chance to beat, you know, like a storied legend in Alistair Overeem? I think he does. I think he has a very good chance of winning, but I'm not going to disrespect Alistair either. He is a vet. And uh, I think Alistair, when it comes to technique, he's he's way, way sharper. Mm-hmm. And Ganu does have – he. He's had he has heavy hands and he has hand speed, but he doesn't always bring his hands back to his face, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do that also, but um, he um, he he's the stronger, I think. But I think Alistair is also just a better striker. Like he knows how to put it together 
smoother. He can set up the, the big shot. I think Ngannou relies a lot on just like like swarming you with a lot of hooks and upper cuts and just hoping that one sneaks in because it usually does because he's, he's got exceptionally long arms and like I said, he's got he's got like welterweight hand speed. Yeah. But it usually pans out, but I don't know if it will be enough against his Alistair. And Alistair can wrestle. Mm-hmm. He's not the wrestler I am, but he can wrestle. So. And I'm actually really glad you mentioned that too because my, my next question was based on that. So we, we talked with heavyweight Arjun Bowler. Uh, a little while ago about wrestling in the heavyweight division. He, of course, he's an Olympic wrestler. Do, do you feel that there's the the amount of wrestlers in the heavyweight division has kind of dwindled down in the last few years? And, and if so, do you feel like that gives you a big advantage in the division? Yeah, I think it has. I think I think the wrestlers with the, the heavyweights with the wrestling heavy, wrestling heavy background They've kind of gone away, kind of like in basketball, like the traditional big man that likes to bang in a post. I think a few heavyweights early on, they got good just by doing focusing on the striking and getting all at the highlight moves, and that's how you get your name out there. So I think just a whole generation of guys just kind of bypassed wrestling and went and came straight from striking backgrounds, and that is kind of like slowed down the the pro- progression of the wrestling and the heavyweight rankings. But no, I do think it gives me a advantage because I know I walk into the cage, I know nine times out of ten I'm a better wrestler. Unless it's Cain Velasquez or maybe Stipe. Cause mm-hmm. I, I wrestled with Stipe a couple years ago. And I, I know he's a really good wrestler. Besides those two, I don't think there's any other heavyweight with better wrestling than me. Curtis, we want to thank you again for the time. Uh, it was really interesting catching up with you. We're looking forward deeply to uh, your next matchup, whenever that might be. Uh, once again, Curtis Blades uh, recently with his fresh win over Alexei Olenek at UFC 217. Thank you again, Curtis, for the time. Thank you for having me. And that interview with Curtis Razor Blades was, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog Brewery is a small batch craft brewery that brews good, clean beer with no pasteurization or preservatives. If you're an IPA lover, they have a phenomenal IPA called Green Magic IPA. Check it out at a liquor store near you. And this is Dave and Dan with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA. Uh, Dave, what would you think of Curtis Blades? Blades is an interesting cat. We've had him on the show before. You know, when he was calling out Naganu, I was kind of, I don't know, sort of, not rolling my eyes, but I'm just like, really, Naganu? And then when you look at his record, I mean, he is 4-0 since that loss. They are two of the more exciting fighters in the division, young fighters, I should say. Obviously, Naganu, his uh, rocket has launched higher than Blades at this point. But don't sleep on Blades. I mean, I think he brings up a good point. They're, they're two guys that might meet up down the road for a title. Yeah, and I think, too, when you, you talk to him about that fight... He's very honest about it. He said he was really raw at the time, and he's getting better in areas, which which I think is definitely true if you've watched his fights. And the other thing, too, is like it, it was a doctor stoppage. Not that, that Nagano didn't beat the shit out of his eye and blow up his eye, but like he wasn't out. He's the only guy to make it two full rounds with him, and he was ready to go to three 
if the doctor didn't come in and stop it for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's I'm happy when there's new blood in these divisions, and I actually have a little game that I'm going to throw at you, Gumby, and this is fresh. You had no idea it was coming, <laughs> um, but maybe you checked our Twitter earlier today. I had actually thrown out what were you know, the top moments of the year so far, because we are almost in December, and I was just thinking about the year as a whole. You could say it's a little premature at the end of November to do this, but it's been kind of a down year for the UFC. So I just thought, what would I say are the main highlights? And then I also came up with what were the most annoying moments of the UFC. And then a uh, loyal listener and fan actually tweeted me back um, after I listed my moments, and he said the progress of the welterweight division between... Uh, Darren Till, Usman, and um, Mike Perry. And I thought that was a great idea. I thought that was a great point. You know, I think the welterweight division made a huge step forward this year. And at the same time, for as thin as the heavyweight division is, and it is thin, we at least had the emergence of Francis Naganu. And on a, you know, smaller scale, you have Blades racking up some wins. So, and, and Marching Tybura, too, you could throw into that that mix. That's a great point. So he pretty much he pretty much evolved throughout this year. And Alexander Volkov to an extent, too. Yeah, good point. So you have, you know, Naganu is obviously the poster child for heavyweights, Hmm. the next generation, saved by the bell, the new class. And then you have (laughs) those three guys you just mentioned kind of underneath them. But, you know, that's a good thing because the heavyweight division needs new blood. So that being said, we had the rise of Naganu. We have the welterweight division getting a little deeper. Oh, and Colby Covington's coming out party as well, both in personality Mm -hmm. and, and the win streak he put together and a big win over a legend in Maya. Then the other top moments I had were obviously Rose, hugest upset of the year, in my opinion, over JJ. Um, just absolutely shocking. You had GSP's return was up there. Uh, Pretty much that whole card could be just like the I, moment of the year. The blood, <laughs> right. The blood feud between TJ and Cody coming to a head, and I think that's going to be the first of many for them. Um, you had the John Jones comeback beating Daniel Cormier, and then in John Jones fashion, getting in trouble. Uh, would expect nothing less from him. Those were kind of the top moments. Anything else? Oh, and then I also uh, put Holloway beating, you know, the one-time featherweight king, Aldo. And He's that still was... the featherweight goat, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and Holloway beat him in, you know, a very convincing fashion. So you kind of had the coming out party of Holloway. Anything else off the top of your head, Gumby, that you would add to 2017? Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of apropos for the... The weekend, too. Uh, Justin Gaethje's coming out party Ooh. of finally making that switch, being stuck in World Series of Fighting for God knows how long. Everybody talking about what would happen if he came over to the UFC. Some people thinking he's a bum. Some people thinking he's not a bum. And he steps in with Michael Johnson and has, fight. if not the best fight of the yeah. year, yep. the best fight ever in the UFC. Uh, and it was only like seven minutes long. Uh, that Michael Johnson, Justin Gaethje fight was the definition of ridiculous. And, uh, to me, that's like the highlight of the year for me. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, I also put as a highlight of the year, kind of a sneaky one was the Zabit debut, the Zabit debut. Um, now for most annoying moments of the year, I had both of Woodley's title defenses. I've always thought of the 170 division as my favorite division, one of the most exciting divisions, um, you know, from the Matt Hughes lineage to GSP. And then even when, you know, Lawler was wrecking shop for the last two years, I've always loved the welterweight division. 
Uh, I think Woodley's two title defenses, uh, just they were both very boring this year, weren't stellar performances. I, I listed that as an annoying moment. Uh, Habib's tiramisu issues, robbing <laughs> us of what should have been the fight of the year and Habib versus issues. Ferguson. Um, and then Jermaine Durandamy narrowly beating Holly, controversial, you know, late hits, and then winning that title and then ducking Cyborg. And then, you know, I also listed uh, that we had no Connor appearances in the UFC. But he did, however, box, fought in a bar, and fought in Bellator. So, you know, he was around. He, he just did he fight in a bar. We're not even still positive about that, are we? It, it was a new segment I had marked down, but he's he's denying it. So who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah. Any other that jump out to you as far as most annoying moments? Also, Jones' return and then getting in trouble again. It's both a great <laughs> moment and an annoying moment. But well, is... well, I'll tell you the the thing that annoyed me the most is the moment after T.J. Dillashaw reclaims his title in like one of the most epic bantamweight fights of all time he he reclaims his title and then immediately uriah faber says he would come out of retirement (laughs) to fight him uh that to me was one of the most annoying things in perfect uriah faber fashion how can I talk myself into one more UFC title fight? Because I've only had about 50 of them. I feel like we as a society have evolved enough to know that this is pure bullshit. And I'll go ditto with you on that for Oscar De La Hoya talking so much shit about Conor and Floyd. And then him saying he would like to come out of retirement to get that Conor McGregor cheddar. <laughs> it's like, just go fuck yourself. Speak, speaking of uh, annoying boxers who I can't stand, uh, Paulie Malignaggi, or however the hell you say his name, who who slowly made himself kind of relevant in MMA is apparently training uh, MMA and jujitsu right now with Phil Baroni. So keep an eye on that one as well. <laughs> Ooh, I, I, I love Phil Baroni. Don't know if that would be my go-to as a trainer, but okay, okay. Yeah, um, what is what is he in his career like? Twenty and twenty, <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> one other news item I wanted to talk to you about, uh, which I thought was awesome, and again engaged a little bit on Twitter. Uh, with the loyal fans, and we are Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, which is Rory McDonald says he wants to be a uh, heavyweight tournament alternate for Bellator, and he expects to be. Um, Listen, I I know that's crazy. It's crazy on its surface, but here's why I don't think it's that crazy. One, if he got matched up with Chael Sonnen in the first round, I would favor Rory McDonald in that fight. Two, he has a very deep tool set, and you know what? Let's see it. I don't think it's like, it's not a demolishing. He'd obviously have a hugely, you know, tall mountain to climb facing some of the bigger guys. But, you know, if he could drag them into later rounds, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Well, the the other thing, too, is I think this whole farce of calling it a heavyweight tournament because they're trying to give away their heavyweight title. It, it, it is what I just called it. It is a farce. It's not a heavyweight tournament. There's four heavyweights in it. There's three light heavyweights in it, and there's a fucking middleweight in it. Right. The, the, it it's not a heavyweight tournament. It's an openweight tournament. Did most of the guys wind up being on the bigger side? Yeah, it is. We didn't find, like, we didn't talk BJ Penn into joining it or, you know, Frank Trigg or Joe Diesel Riggs. We didn't talk any of those smaller guys into it. But but this is an openweight tournament for their heavyweight title. Uh, and you can call it whatever it is you want, but I, I wouldn't imagine... Shale Sonnen walks into that fight weighing any more than 208 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Soaking wet, 208 pounds. Because the dude used to comfortably make 185. Uh, so I wouldn't imagine he has any trouble getting there. So he's a middleweight. He's a middleweight by every sense of the word. So saying that we're going to go one more division down and let a welterweight fight in it, 
Yeah, I agree. Let him be an alternate. It, Have it, him fight Gegard Mousasi to be the alternate on the fight. I was going to say, I would put Gegard in that in that tournament as well. I don't think you're—here's a crime. This is a crime to me. Michael Bisping got knocked out twice in the span of three weeks, and the second time very well, viciously. Well, he got, he got knocked out once, and he got stunned once and choked out. Fine, yeah. I mean, semantics. <laughs> he got knocked down. He got stunned, and then he knocked out in violent fashion, but twice in three weeks, older guy— already lost an eye more or less to a yep. Vitor Belfort wheel kick yep. and then of course you know the the medical suspensions come out and a doctor looks at him and says okay you can't fight for 60 days I get those are a joke it's just on paper mm-hmm. um but anyone any doctor to me that really cares about their patient and anybody who's been following the sport I think would say Bisping take close to a year off you just got stunned, knocked out, whatever you want to say, twice in three weeks. After Robbie Lawler got demolished and his lights turned off by Tyron Woodley, he took a full year off, came back and had a big win over Donald Cerrone. That's the way to do it, but you know as well as I do that Bisping's going to be in that octagon this March when they hit London, and I just don't know if that's really the right thing for him. You know, you could say, all right, he's about to retire, so if he goes out on one more loss, but you're getting into, like, dangerous territory here, well, I think. Well, actually, that's what I was going to say to you, too, is I, I think that he doesn't have a year of training left in him. Do I think he'll train jiu-jitsu and boxing and MMA for more than a year? Yeah, I do, but he won't train UFC-level boxing and jiu-jitsu and wrestling and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I think that part of his desire to get back in there for a couple more times really fast, it is ill-advised, but at the same time, it's because he knows he's not going to be around that much longer. That's fine, and he should think that. But a doctor who has been placed <laughs> with, you know, caring for the individual should tell you, him, you need to take a full year off. Do, do you know anything about the Shanghai Commission? I assume it's uh, completely illegitimate, uh, corrupt, <laughs> and made up. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea anything about it, but for some reason I also assume... Uh, that you can pretty much pick your own suspension. Yeah, so I get it. it. I mean, they all it's all bullshit when these suspensions come out. I'm just saying for Michael Bisping, the person, he shouldn't be fighting in six months. And that being said, so to me, that's a crime. Rory McDonald in that open weight, as you just called it. Not and a that crime. That, not a crime. He has no. probably the deepest skill set all around best MMA fighter of the eight or nine people he would be matched up with, whoever you want to put him up against. Yeah, and he would, he would be massively... He, he would be in- incredibly undersized against somebody like of course. Frank Mir. Of course. But he would not be incredibly undersized against somebody like Rampage Jackson, mm-hmm. Ryan Vader. Like, right. he's he's smaller than them. Of course. But, but not in a not ridiculous crazy. freak show looking way. Listen, this is mixed uh, martial arts. The original thought of the whole sport was let's match martial artist against martial artist. Forget about the weight classes. And I get the weight classes have done a ton for us. It's what made the sport legitimate. It's what got everything on the right track. But the original intent of the sport was let's see whose style is best. Let's see whose discipline is the best. So to here, me, here, here's a question for you. Do you think if he cuts zero pounds, he weighs 206? Yeah, I I always assume that GSP and Rory were somewhere walking around in the 195 to 204-pound range, yes. So so if he weighs 206, technically he's a heavyweight having non-cut. He's technically a light heavyweight having non-cut. 
two oh six. Oh yeah, two oh six is technically what I have Two oh six and a half. Okay, he would so have to. He win. had a big thing, a Canadian Thanksgiving dinner, and he's two oh seven. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, Canadian Thanksgiving's in October. <laughs> um, all right, so that being said, I think we've rolled along here, Gumby. Uh, we do have a fight card coming up this weekend. It is UFC 218. Would you like to get into the breakdown of that? Yeah, and of course, the breakdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the lightest, most durable mouthguard on the market. So head on over to SISUguard.com and get the mouthguard that's right for you. All right, the main event is a rematch from this past June. Very underwhelming, in my opinion. I think these two could come out and have a fight of the year. But for me, it probably doesn't get my money just because I'm so underwhelmed by having just seen this. And I think the outcome stays the same. Max Holloway finished Jose Aldo in the third round. They rematch here because Frankie Edgar got injured and dropped out, really robbing us of a matchup I was really looking forward to in Edgar versus Holloway. That being said, Holloway is a minus 310 favorite. You could get Jose Aldo around a plus 250 dog. Who you got, Gumby? I'm going with Max Holloway. I see no reason why this fight should go any different than the first. And as a matter of fact, I see more reason why it would be even more dominant for Max Holloway. Uh, Because at this stage, you know, Jose Aldo did that whole thing where he said he wasn't going to fight unless he got an automatic rematch. He teased doing boxing. He teased doing grappling. It almost seemed like his heart wasn't in MMA anymore for quite a while. And, And I'm sure it was to some extent. But he teased never fighting MMA again because he was mad at the UFC for not giving him an automatic rematch. So, it, I mean, if you ask me, do you think it's going to end up any different, even if he was training all the time and even if he was super hyper-focused on getting his belt back, I'd still say Holloway was going to blast him. And now knowing that he might have been kind of a little wishy-washy on his comeback or a little wishy-washy on this, and he's going to take the fight on short notice when he was supposed to fight Ricardo Lamas later... I, I just don't think any of those variables line up well for, for Jose Aldo to do anything different than he did before, which is get outstruck by a much larger, longer fighter. Well, I guess the uh, the UFC's counter to that, what I've been hearing on the interwebs, um, and really I'm sure it's pure propaganda, but it's that Jose Aldo was injured in June and could not throw leg kicks like he normally does and help set up the Jose Aldo game that we've come to know and love. Now the leg kicks are back. Do you find this matchup more enticing, knowing that Jose Aldo uh, potentially was unable to throw leg kicks in June, but will be back throwing leg kicks this weekend? No, because Max Holloway is not a Diaz brother, and he knows how to check a leg kick. All right, fair (laughs) enough. We'll move on. Uh, The really most exciting fight on the card, and it's, uh, you know, I think for one of the individuals, a number one contender fight, you have Francis Naganu. Uh, the, uh, I guess you could say best prospect at heavyweight. Uh, he's had his coming out party at this point, but he will now be fighting the legend in Alistair Overeem. Overeem, a plus 205 dog, Naganu, a minus 245 favorite. Uh, it should be said that JDS was supposed to be in this fight, so even the co-main event had a last-minute withdrawal, uh, and Overeem stepped up, which is a fight that was rumored earlier in the year, and a very exciting matchup because Overeem is probably the best striker at the UFC heavyweight division, but he's taken his lumps here recently in the past mm-hmm. few years. His lights get turned off a little easier now. Uh, you saw that against Stipe when he put Stipe in guard, and just from the top, old-school ground and pound, Stipe shut the lights off. Naganu's punching power is absolutely ferocious. Uh, what are you thinking here? So I, I will agree with you, first of all, that I believe that Francis Naganu's punching power worries me if I'm, a, if I'm rooting for Overeem. 
But that being said, the odds on my hands, I, I would not go and bet Francis Naganu at negative 245. That, that is a very heavy, heavy favorite for two guys who punch really hard. And if you look at the odds, Dave, tell me who the best guy off the top of your head without putting the intern on it. Who's the best guy Francis Naganu has beat? Who you were gonna make me draw a blank here? I mean, I know he beat Abdul Arab Mahinov, a couple other jobbers before that. Um, who is he? He is coming off of someone I at least decently respected. He has not beat a top five guy. I mean, Arlovsky, but he's almost de- decrepit now. So I, I don't even know who I'd say the best person he beat is. Who? who what's let the me, answer? Let me let me tell you the five guys he's beat in the UFC. Go. He's beat Luis Henrique. Who? He beat Luis Henrique. Who? He beat Curtis Blades. I like Curtis Blades. He beat Bojan Milicevic. Who? He beat Anthony the Freight Train Hamilton. And he beat Andre Arlovsky. Old Andre Arlovsky. Old Andre Arlovsky. So at what point in time do you look at those five victories and say, damn, like that is not a good resume, right? Like the highest ranked fighter in that is Curtis Blades who he stopped by Dr. Stoppage two and a half years ago and has since risen to like number 10 in the rankings. He's now fighting the number one contender, somebody nine spots higher than Curtis Blades with a freaking wealth of experience. Um, so while I think that it's completely possible that, that Francis Naganu hits the chin and turns the lights off and, and, you know, I would be super excited if he did, cause I think the division needs that new face to fight Stipe. It, it wouldn't surprise me here to see Overeem pull the upset either. Yep. I think that's very well said Gumby. I'm one that very much looks at strength of schedule. I think you brought up a good point. Um, I guess the one counter to it would just be that Naganu has at least taken all comers, that have uh, stepped up against him and put them yeah, away that, in convincing fashion. But you're right. That's definitely not his fault, right? Like, it, no, it, no. it's not his fault that he fought. The best guy he fought was Curtis Blades two and a half years ago. Um, no, but you bring up a good point. We'll move on. Another very exciting matchup on this card, even if you're underwhelmed like me at the main event. Eddie Alvarez, a plus 155 dog to minus 175 Justin Gaethje, who's 1-0 in the UFC after a very dramatic win over Michael Johnson. Who you taking here? I think we could go with Justin Gaethje just because I think that uh, when Alvarez tires, which which isn't it doesn't happen all the time. But when Alvarez gets a little tired, his punching power leaves to an extent. You know, like you're you're not going to see him with like a, a third or fourth round knockout. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look back to when he lost the Bellator title, it was because he tired in round four against Michael Chandler. Um, and not that Michael Chandler's not good, but like as the rounds go on, he looks a little bit, little bit less. Uh, impressive, you know, and you could even say the same thing about the Donald Cerrone fight. You look less and less impressive. Gaethje's not a a guy you're going to get out of there, and B he's not the type of guy who tires at all. You know, like Justin Gaethje is the dude with absolutely crazy punching power from the minute he steps in there to the minute he walks out, and he, you know, so far he's never had to walk out the loser. I mean, the dude is. 18 and 0 with 15 freaking knockouts. Um, and he's a D one all American wrestler. So I don't see Alvarez wrestling him up. And if this turns into a street fight, I got Gaethje all the way knocking him out. 
All right. Uh, so those are the three big fights on the card. I mean, you also have Cejudo Pettis, but let's face it, the uh, flyweight division is all but dead. Who cares? Gumby, what are some other fights you're looking forward to, or who's a fighter people should look out for? I mean, I think the most exciting fight and probably the sleeper pick here for fight of the night is David Tamer versus Drakkar Klosa. Um, David Tamer is a super exciting uh, Thai kickboxer from Sweden, um, training with all the guys up there at, at TriStar. He's already has a decision win over Lando Venata. So he's like one of those very, very legit prospects that maybe you haven't heard of, even though he's got some like kind of impressive wins. Uh, and Drakkar Klosa has some like big name wins to himself. Even though he's only a blue belt in jujitsu, he trains out of the lab, so he's super high level, and he just took a decision off of Mark Diacasey, who might be one of the most prestigious prospects in all of England. Um so he's got some wins to his record too. And then the other one I'm gonna go with is I'm gonna go with Dominic Reyes, who had um a really vicious viral knockout uh that got him his uh UFC contract and then he made his ufc debut with a 29 second knockout over joachim christensen he's gonna fight jeremy kimball who had one of the coolest looking knockouts i've ever seen where he threw a hammer fist from standing uh and knocked down josh stanbury before he finished him uh also in the first round so i think that that those two uh are gonna make a really fun light heavyweight matchup and i actually find dominic reyes a pretty interesting prospect uh for the light heavyweight division all right. I'm shocked you didn't list Angela Magana's big comeback as an exciting fight, but I Yo, get it. Um, so so how, how bad is her record in the UFC? Do you happen to know that offhand? It's like 0-50, or she's only yeah. had like two fights. I mean, she's like 0-3. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think that that's bad, but recently I found out. So this past weekend, this is just an absolutely staggering stat to me, uh, but this past weekend somebody uh, was watching the fights in uh, – there was a, a women's straw weight bout on. So women's straw, straw weight bout came on. You know, you could you'd care less. Kaylin Curran was fighting uh, a debut fighter out of China. Mm-hmm. And she lost. And somebody goes, well, she's got to get the axe now. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I feel like I've seen some pretty good fights with Kaylin Curran. I, I saw her fight Paige Van Zandt. That was pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw her fight Felice Herrig. That was pretty entertaining. So I I head over to Tapology to find out what her UFC record. Any guess on her UFC record for Caitlin Curran? Yeah, uh, you know Caitlin Curran, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like these girls never get enough fight bookings, so I'm gonna say she's two and one, two and two. How about one in six? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, would you have ever guessed that that girl is one in six? I, I she entered know. the UFC at three and zero. She is now four in six. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. How uh, is she still in the UFC? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the uh, the women's flyweight division for you. Oh. Um, all right. So I believe the final bell is about to ring, Gumby. We're going to go to Bruce Buffer's decision here. Do we have anything else we need to plug, say, do? No, once again, let's thank our sponsors, Dead Frog Brewery, Human Weapon Clothing, and Sisu Mouthguards. Thank you guys for the support. And, of course, you can hit us up on Facebook, Top Turtle MMA, and you can hit us up on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and you can check out my Twitter, at Gumby Vreeland. And thank you to Flow Combat, our partner in crime, and thank you to Curtis Blades for joining us once again. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We'll be back next week. <laughs>